Do you know who Jeremy Renner is? Jeremy Renner plays Hawkeye in the Avengers series. And I don't know if you read the story, but he was helping his nephew dig out of a snowstorm last, I think it was January 1st. There was a very large snow removal machine. Do you see this thing? I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel like we need at least 14 of these for the city of Mankato. Do you think? Yeah, Doug, you love this, right? So he was trying to clear some snow, and in the process, somehow this machine fell on Jeremy Renner. He is lucky to be alive. He shared some pictures. It looks like he was covered by this machine afterwards. And he says now, months after surviving that, this quote. I'm very, very clear. My life is really lean, if that makes sense, he said. There's no fat in my life anymore. I don't have time for that. So there's something really beautiful about having that superpower. And he's an Avenger, right? So that's funny, the superpower thing. I just have to point that out to make sure everyone grasps his little pun there. So nine months later, after intense physical therapy, it's a good thing he is very wealthy because I saw some of the videos and I was like, he has like a whole medical team at his house essentially. But that being said, he is lucky to be alive. Have you ever had a season of illness or maybe you've had an injury? I broke my ankle in two places last fall and man, once I was able to run again and walk without a boot or crutches, you just are so grateful for your body functioning the way it should. And it changes you, doesn't it? For Jeremy Renner, it definitely has. Today we're going to study a passage about a man who needed physical healing, but there's another whole group of people who also needed physical healing, and they missed the chance. They were so convinced that they were right in what they believed, they missed Jesus who was right in front of them. So returning to our Book of John series, the Book of John was written, John says, so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, we have life in his name. And perhaps one of the most famous verses in the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Have you heard this? Back in the day, everyone at football games, people would write John 3.16 on placards, you know, and they would zoom in on that. I don't know if that still happens. I don't know if I've seen it recently, but that's how famous that verse is. What does it mean, however, to believe? What does that look like? So that's what we're studying. Every, uh, we do about three or four weeks of John, and then we're doing a a series on a different topic. So now we are starting another four weeks in chapter five. The beginning of chapter five, Jesus has an interaction with this man who hasn't been able to walk for almost 40 years. He approaches him and notices that he has been waiting for healing. He's never received it. He's still waiting. Jesus sees him and tells him to get up and to take his mat and to walk. In verse 8, he commands this. Now, a healing in the Bible, if you've ever read the Bible, seems like it's no big deal. These happen all the time, don't they? In fact, uh, this is a freebie, interesting fact. One-fifth of the stories in the gospel 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are somehow connected to a healing. That's a lot. And the commentator I read said, man, why doesn't the church talk more about this? Why aren't we talking more about healing? Maybe we'll have a series on that another time. It seems like a very simple story. Jesus interacts with someone, gets healed, boom, right? What's the big deal? Oh boy. Well, Jesus gets into a hot mess because Jesus's life is literally in danger because of the conversations they have. So in chapter 5, starting in verse 16, we read, So because Jesus was doing these things during the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his own defense, Jesus said, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I, too, am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus performed this on the Sabbath. Now for us, maybe some of you have a day of rest in your household, or maybe you have an afternoon where you just say, okay, Sunday nights we have no technology, we have a family meal, or I call my girlfriend, or whatever it is. The Sabbath for the Jews back in the day was central. It was literally the center of their life, of their week. Healing on the Sabbath was a big no-no. And I was trying to imagine what it would be like. So imagine you're at the Olive Garden, and you pull out one of the noodles, and you're trying to see if it's cooked, and you fling it on the wall. We wouldn't do that, right? Someone around would be like, what's wrong with table 24? Okay? Or let's say... You're getting married, and I show up in a bikini. Nope. Are you with me? Perhaps you're in a quiet library, and you drop something, and you swear really loudly. That's bad. So culturally, what Jesus did made everyone do what maybe you just did in your head. It's not okay. However, religiously, it's also not okay. Picking up a mat and healing was considered work, the opposite of what the Sabbath was for. Work on the Sabbath was not just culturally awkward. It was wrong. If you wanted to be a good Jew, you didn't work on the Sabbath. It was the way that they separated themselves from an increasingly pagan or non-Jewish society around them. Being a Jew was about following God. It was about purity. It was about obedience because God is creator. It was the same as perhaps you might, as a follower of Jesus if you are, you have certain things in your head, and if I were to do them, you would go, that's not what Christians do. For everybody, it's different. Maybe it's sexual purity or going to church on a regular basis or reading your Bible daily. It's sort of the agreed structure, the commitment Jews had. Sabbath was like right up there. Now, the people in the book of John at this point are responding to him in all sorts of different ways. We see people having interactions with Jesus, the woman at the well, and not only is her life changed, she goes back to her town and tells everyone to come and listen. Other people are asking questions. Other people have left their lives to follow Jesus physically. And 
Then there are some who want to kill him. It says first that they persecute him. In the Greek, this means they were pursuing him with hostility. They were harassing him. They were causing trouble. And then somehow it goes from that to verse 18 where they want to kill him. And I have spent a lot of time this week really considering what was it that they went from, gosh, this guy is a crackpot, or this guy's a bad teacher, or even religiously, this guy is dangerous. He's teaching things that don't line up with what we understand as Judaism. What, what happened that it flipped to, we want to kill, which is not something they take lightly, just like any human being. What made them want to kill Jesus? It's not just about the Sabbath, although that's a big deal. And, side note, Jesus has the guy break the Sabbath, too. He tells him, pick up your mat and walk. As I like to say, that cooks my noodle, because I don't know what to do with that. So Jesus defends himself by saying, my father is always at his work, and to this very day, I, too, am working. This is what tripped them from being upset to, we have to kill this guy. So again, what happens? It says that Jesus was equating himself with God. Okay, Jewish background, the Shema. Perhaps you've heard this phrase before. It comes from Deuteronomy 6, and I think I have the verse for the screen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Have you heard this before? This is something that the Jews would repeat, not just once a day, not just twice a day, sometimes three times a day. It is central to their daily lives. So what about this conflicts with what Jesus is saying? Jesus, as a human, is before them saying, I am God. And there is a Father. So instead of this monotheistic, singular, God is in heaven, the creator, in a spirit sense, you have a human being, not just pointing you to God and to believe in God and the right things to do, as they're used to, or a prophet. It is someone saying to you, I am God, with skin on, with sweat. And they were not ready for that. <laughs> they just couldn't. They couldn't understand that, or they chose not to. Jesus, therefore, had to be stopped. He was teaching something that went against the very heart of Judaism. He was claiming something that did not line up with their understanding about who God is. People could, however, have believed in Jesus because he was pointing to the truth. He was healing. He had witnesses, it says in John 5. John the Baptist had come before Jesus, had a public ministry, and John the Baptist said, hey, everybody, there's a new dude in town, and you need to pay attention. 
So it wasn't just Jesus making claims like this. He was following the cultural expectation of having a witness back up his claims. So just like in a court of law, if I'm accused of something, I might ask for a witness because that's more credible than just me. So Jesus was even doing that. In the midst of all of this, Jesus says in verse 24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, meaning the Father, has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come, meaning when Jesus was alive 2,000 years ago, a time has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son, Jesus is pointing to himself, also to have life in himself. We hear and we can believe. And in that moment, when we believe in Jesus, Jesus says, not just someday, where I think sometimes we often think about, oh, we get to go to heaven after we die. But Jesus says, if you believe, you will have eternal life before you die. You get to go to heaven right now because it's about Jesus. So this word, eternal life, perhaps you've heard this before, Zoe is a name that we hear sometimes people get. Zoe is Greek for life. So this word, life, everlasting, has no beginning, has no end. You're entering into something that has always been and always will be. God has no beginning and no end. Time. What is time? It's a human construct. It's something we do so that we can have order and whatever. It's, God doesn't have time. God doesn't wear a watch. Thank God. We enter into something that is already happening because God is life. Does that make sense? So when I say yes to Jesus and Jesus gives me that life, I'm in it. And I can never get out of it. I have that life now. Now, it's not going to be like this when I'm in heaven. I pray So many things will be changed, and the scriptures tell us that that is true. But the life that we get, I was trying to think about, what does that look like? Zoe from the Greek means active, alive, vigorous, strong, fresh, powerful, and efficacious. Oh, man, I love that word. I even like saying that word. It's once you've had an injury and you come back to that wholeness and you feel strong, you feel effective, you feel grounded again. It's that wholeness that God offers us. It's that lovely feeling in your belly when you've just eaten something that is so good. It's the warmth of the sunshine in your face when you're outside. It's that feeling when you're with your best friend and all is well. We kind of say this phrase tongue-in-cheek, they're living their best life. Eternal life is the best life. It's life eternal. There's no end to it. And God is the source of it and is life by definition. 
That's how he was able to create all the things. Because he's life. So he gets to give it away and instill it in whatever he wants. Verse 27 says, God, it says, and he, who is God, has given him, Jesus, authority to judge. Because Jesus is the son of man. Jesus says, do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming, he said this earlier, also in verse 25, a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear Jesus' voice and come out. Now, I don't know exactly what this is going to look like, everybody. When Jesus comes back, are people going to come out of the graves? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe he's talking about while he walked on earth. Maybe people were coming back to life. Oh, yeah, that's right. People did come back to life when Jesus talked to them, okay? Anyway, there's, these people are going to come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Jesus says, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, meaning probably from God, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him, God, the Father who has sent me. So Jesus doesn't just heal, although that's pretty cool. Jesus doesn't just teach, which he did. He doesn't just turn water into wine, which we read about a few weeks ago. He doesn't just interact with people and change their lives. He also judges. Jesus has been given the authority by the Father to judge. And it says we will face judgment. Our deeds will be judged. Now, we also know that Jesus says we have life in his name. And so these two things don't have to be in conflict. We can believe and trust that Jesus gives us life and know that what we do will be defined as either good or evil. Both things are true. How we spend our time, our words, and our choices, they are going to be judged. And we can trust that it'll be the right decision. Because it's about what God believes to be true. We can trust it will be the right decision. Now, verse 29 can be taken out of context, and we could simply say, oh, if I'm good, then I'm good. And if people who are evil, oh, good. They're not going to be with God. They're going to be condemned. Super simple, right? Uh, Again, remember (laughs) that Jesus says that it's only in him that there's life. James does say that without works, our faith is dead. And that being faithful isn't just about a verbal assent. Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. That there does have to be an embodiment of that. When we see in this passage, it's believing. It's about giving glory back to God. It's about asking questions. It's about asking Jesus for healing and recognizing that we need that healing. Verse uh, 20, 39 We have a small group every other week with a bunch of moms and teenagers, and we talked about this verse as standing out. Jesus says to these religious leaders, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. We love the Bible. Uh, Rosa Parks, obviously, we just gave students Bibles. All about the Bible, okay? But read what Jesus said. You think in them you have eternal life. You can be the smartest Bible scholar. 
You can memorize the things. You can go to Awana. You can have a tattoo of scripture on your arm and still miss Jesus. If we think that by memorizing it or knowing it, that in that we have life. That's what Jesus said. Jesus calls for people to believe in him and in his words and in his word. But even great students who study and know and memorize and live and teach and rebuke other people for not obeying, even them have missed when Jesus, God, was right in front of them. We're going to go backwards to the beginning of the story. Verse 9. This is when Jesus is interacting with the man who needed healing. It says that once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jesus, I'm sorry, the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, oh, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. All right, time out here. Let's say I just had, I tore my ACL. Okay. And you all prayed for me on a Sunday morning. And the janitor comes and says, um, it's 12.02. It's time to get out of here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, something's happened with my leg. But the janitor's like, you have to get out. And I'm like, no, 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 I think I'm being healed right now. This man had been injured for 38 years. And what are the religious leaders worried about? I'm sorry. It's the Help me, Lord. It's the Sabbath. I think that's the dissonance that happened in the spiritual realm. <laughs> when they focused on the wrong thing. They missed an opportunity to give glory to God. They missed an opportunity to connect with this man and rejoice over the change of his life. They did not realize they themselves were the ones that really needed to be healed. They needed God to free them from their own paralysis and their own mental paralysis. Their inability to see they were blind and deaf to Jesus. The lame man knew he needed healing. It was obvious. And he received it. These religious leaders stayed stuck. They were unable to see the opportunity to change their lives. And that can happen to us. We can get so set in our understanding of Jesus, our understanding of God's plan for us, what is right and wrong, that we can miss what God might have for us. Jeremy Renner talked about, after surviving his ordeal, cutting away the fat so that his life would be lean. And what I feel like God was teaching me this week with the passage is that that is what Jesus was telling everyone. The prostitutes, the tax collectors, the religious leaders, the children. What is that fat in your life? Sometimes it's even reading the Bible. It's not rejoicing over God's work because we're focused in the wrong way. Cut that fat away because guess what you need? Me, Jesus, it is just Jesus. It is Jesus. 
and we're going to say this to you all year. <laughs> it's going to get redundant, but it is about Jesus. Even the Bible, you guys, Jesus says, don't look for eternal life in the Bible unless the Bible's pointing you to Jesus. Don't look for life in a small group unless that's pointing you to Jesus. Don't look for life in sports unless it's pointing you to Jesus. Don't look for life in your career unless it points you to Jesus. Jesus says, we have all received grace in place of grace. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. Jesus says God gives the spirit without limit. Jesus says, for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Jesus says that God is pleased to give it. And if you don't feel like you believe God in the way that Jesus is asking you to, Ask God to give you that faith. And then ask him, what is that fat? What is that that I've been believing in Jesus that is keeping me from understanding who you are? Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. Every day we need you. Every hour we need you. Every day. In all things, we need you for parenting. We need you for being grandparents. We need you as we move, as we transition. God, we need you when our microphone makes a weird, funny noise in the middle of a sermon. We need you, God, when we're driving behind someone who's going 30 miles an hour in a 45. Jesus, we need you when our kids wake us up over and over and over and over again at night. God, I don't know where everybody's at in their hearts with you, Lord. I don't know who has already stepped into that eternal life. I don't know the people who maybe have one foot in and one foot out. But Jesus, you do. And so God, in the name of Jesus, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be speaking to us, that you would be speaking to us so that we can hear you and that we can believe. And by believing, we can experience and have and rejoice in eternal life. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.